to seek you out, that, God, you would simply bless him. Lord, we pray that you would simply bless us tonight through your word as we once again look at the comfort that you offer during such trying circumstances. And so, Father, once again, bless us for being here, for being diligent and obedient, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. In Jeremiah chapter 33, it's where we're going to be having our study, but I want to read to you 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. It's a parallel verse to what we'll be studying here tonight. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in our consolation or our comfort, also abounds through Christ. Now if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast, because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation, or consola- consolation, the comfort, or the peace or contentment in the midst of the trial. Well, that's exactly what has been going on here in the book of Jeremiah. We've come to the last chapter of a series of four chapters that are referred to as Jeremiah's book of consolation, our book of comfort, comfort again in the midst of difficulty. We have seen in previous studies that the foundation of this book of consolation, it is built upon a promise of God that has been previously given, that well-known verse in Jeremiah 29.11, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. And again, that that verse was delivered to God's people while they were in Babylonian captivity, while Jerusalem was being sieged, why Jeremiah was suffering the persecutions that he is suffering. We have seen at the time of this writing, yes, that Jerusalem is under siege. It's for the third time, and Nebuchadnezzar has pretty much had enough. He is going to destroy the city, and he is going to tear apart the temple. And in the mindset of the Jew, not only is the temple gone, because keep in mind the temple is necessary to sacrifice and to worship God, but also the priesthood. And how does this fit in with God's promises? And it seems like, well, this is going to be devastating to us as a people. But also, secondly, the king of Judah, Zedekiah, he's on the throne, but his days are numbered. He is going to be made an example of, and he's going to be killed as well. And here we have a descendant of David. And the rich promises of God, they said that never will a descendant of David fail to be seated upon the throne. So how does this work out? So again, the Jewish mind, there's going to be a lot of confusion in all that's gone on. There's been a lot of arrogance, but now as they're being humbled, there's a lot of confusion. And even Jeremiah, he's been in prison for speaking God's truth, which the people did not want to hear. And Jeremiah, we saw his calling in chapter 1, and he just went forth and did what God told him to do. But never do we see anybody saved. Never do we see anybody getting right with the Lord. And matter of fact, it made his life pretty difficult. But the bottom line is, we know, he's doing what God had called him to do. And there's no better place to be in the perfect will of the Lord. It's the same hope and assurance that we have. 
And so it's during this dark and bleak time that God speaks to Jeremiah so that his people would have hope for their future. Never does God leave his people without hope. Our hope has been spelled out for us. Theirs, theirs is being spoken to them. In these four chapters, in chapter 30 through 33, again, we're doing the last chapter here tonight. In chapter 30, we saw the need for divine intervention for the purpose of restoration. In chapter 31, we saw the blessings when God does bring restoration. Chapter 32, we saw the certainty of restoration. And now in chapter 33, we see the promise of restoration repeated and maybe even better defined. So looking at verse 1 of chapter 33, it says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time while he was still shut up in the court of the prison, saying, The themes of the previous chapter, the consolations of the previous chapter, are reconfirmed in this chapter as God repeats the promises of his will. Never are we more immortal. So you, you've got Israel and Babylonian captivity, basically three groups that I want to look at tonight. You've got the Jews in Babylonian captivity. They're wondering what's going on. You've got the Jews who are in Jerusalem, and they're under siege, and they're wondering what's going on. And you've got Jeremiah who's in prison, and he's got a good idea what's going on. But nonetheless, even the person who's got the strongest faith at times, it's going to be difficult. And so these themes of these previous chapters, they repeat the promise of his will. And again, never are we more immortal as we are in the will of God. At times it's going to seem like things are just going out of control, but never are we more immortal as we are in the will of God. And on the other hand, never are we more vulnerable as we are outside of the will of God. And so you've got the Jews as a people. We know that they're in the will of God as far as, as God has called them, his chosen people. And God is going to be working his plan out throughout all of history with the Jews at the forefront. But we have these individuals of that day who were very outside of God's will and have become vulnerable. They were involved in idolatry and just basically just completely have forsaken the Lord. Those already in Babylon and those who are under siege in Jerusalem, Jeremiah in jail, we can be the same way. At times it can seem like we're under siege with the flesh. Just, I was just talking to somebody before service of uh, Romans chapter 7. Again, the Apostle Paul. Things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. The things that I want to do... I don't always find myself practicing. And he's going back and forth, and he cries out, who will deliver me from this body of death? Because he realizes that sin can just be, well, he can be under siege at times. But he comes to that grand conclusion in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But at times we can so be, so seem to be under siege from the flesh. And if it's not the flesh, then it's the world. And it's the persecution and prosecution that comes from the world and we can seem so outnumbered and overwhelmed at times. And then there's the reality of the devil. There's the reality of spiritual warfare. And all of these things, we can seem like we're just as those in Babylon, those under siege in Jerusalem, or just as the prophet was in that prison. But we're told in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 19, the Lord, speaking from Isaiah the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, 
to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And that's what we celebrated on Sunday morning. We celebrated the freedom that we have in Christ as we, it's been revealed to us through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And not just the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, but that which followed through as we have the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of us, but also empowers us. These are all truths that the freedom that I have in Jesus Christ. And I would allow that to wash over my soul, especially during these difficult days that we suffer. Verse 2, thus says the Lord who made it, the Lord who formed it, to establish it, the Lord is his name. Now notice three times, and if you go back to verse 1, it's four times that the word Lord is mentioned here. God's making a point. Lord, it's all in capitals here, capital L-O-R-D, and it refers back to the word, the the name that God gave Moses in Exodus chapter 3, Yahweh. A derivative of that would be um, Jehovah. But anyway, this is God, the God who is, is speaking here. And so he's lending power behind his word that we would truly understand who it is who is speaking these things. God's making the point that his will will come to pass because he is God, that he is the God who exists, and he is the God who is able. Just as surely as he met Moses and said, I am that I am, and then went forth and delivered Israel from Egyptian captivity, he is the one who is able to keep his people, allow them to go off into captivity, but he's also the one who is going to be able to gather them back. And it's the same thing we need to remember as we're going through our difficult days. My God is able to keep the promises that he has given to me in his word, even though maybe my flesh or the world or the devil tells me that it's not going to happen. At times we can seem so dark, but it's in the midst of that that I have to make sure that I keep myself in his marvelous light. It's why the Word of God is still pertinent to our lives today. It's why we study Jeremiah today, that we see how God interacts with His people and the hope that He gives His people so that we would be well aware of of the nature and the interaction of God. That God interacts in the lives of those who at times are disobedient, at times who stumble, who fall, at times don't do what they want to do or do do what they don't want to do, you know, in that dilemma that Paul was going through. But he's a God who interacts in our lives and he moves because of his nature, because of the love that he has for us, because he is gracious. We've all been under siege and we can can relate to all of that. And so we've got these stories, these real stories of the Old Testament that we need to apply to our lives today and see how God moves. In Romans chapter 15, verse 4, it says, For whatever things were written before, speaking of the Old Testament, or written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Well, no better place here in Jeremiah, especially in these four chapters, 30 through 33, to understand the hope that God gives his people during difficult days. And so I can make it as applicable to your lives as possible. You have to make it real in your life. Now, notice something else that stands out here. It really jumped out to me when I read it. It's it. It, whatever it is, God tells us that he directly made it, he formed it, 
and established it. And looking into the word, what is it? It is the way, the will, and the works of God. It's the knowledge that God's will is always going to come past. It says he, 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 he made it. The idea is it's birthed forth from the heart of God. God's will is birthed forth from God Almighty. It says that he formed it. The idea here is, is that he squeezed it into shape. He made it real and accessible and applicable to our lives in that he knows who I am and he meets me in a personal way and he forms his will so that I'm able to receive of it, I'm able to be obedient to it. And then it says that he established it. The idea here is it's established throughout all of history's God's will is going to come to pass. Now what does that do? That sets our hope at peace. Because we can read through to the end of the Bible. We can read through to the book of Revelation. And we can see some definite realities there. The first part of the book of Revelation, we're introduced to Jesus Christ. Then we're introduced to the church throughout the church age in chapters 2 and chapters 3. And then in the first part of chapter 4, we have a picture of the rapture of the church. Because after chapter 4, never again do you see the church on earth. The only place you see it is in heaven. So that rich picture in the first two verses of the rapture of the church. And then we have that picture in chapter 4 and into chapter 5 of the church in heaven just worshiping and praising God. This is the great hope that we have. God's established this. It's why he put it in his word. But then we see some pretty difficult things. We have the perspective from heaven looking down at the earth and seeing the tribulation that's going to be going on. And then there's a changeover. We see the perspective from earth, from, from earth looking to heaven and seeing the, the tribulation that's coming from heaven. But then in chapter 19, we once again plug in as we see Jesus Christ in his second coming and we riding on those horses with him coming and witnessing what he's going to do. Chapter 20 is the millennial age and then we have a new heaven and a new earth and we just see how this great hope that we have in God unfolds before us. This is to be an anchor to our soul because you know we've seen this in the book of Hebrews. Why? Because there's just so much So much that goes on in this life. So much that grabs our attention. So much that can cause us to be discouraged. But as we get into God's word, as we know and as we understand that his will, well, it's he who birthed it, he squeezed it into shape, and he established it for all eternity. So Jeremiah, as God's will, is of the one is of the one who is and is able, that's where you are to find your contentment. God's will comes from the one who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And for now, it's necessary for those in captivity to be in captivity, those under siege to be in siege, and for you, Jeremiah, for you to be in prison at this time. But God's will is still working out. It's the great hope that you have. And we must ask ourselves, are we able to find contentment in the will of God when everything around us seems to be falling apart? Because, see, God will bring us deeper and deeper and deeper into trials in order to strengthen us in that knowledge. Because we can have just an immature biblical knowledge of this reality, and that's a good thing. But then God's going to step it up. He's going to allow hardship to enter in. Why? Because he wants to drive this deep within our souls so that we will be able to comfort, and what I read in Second Corinthians chapter 1, 
comfort others with the comfort that we have been comforted by. And what I mean by that is, you're going through an issue, whatever the issue may be. And you come to me and say, Pastor Mike, I'm just simply beside myself. My very faith is being tested in this trial. Now, if I've gone through the same trial that you've gone through, I'm able to offer you comfort. Well, let me tell you what God did in my life. Let me tell you the growth that happened. And I was just like you. I, I, I was felt like I was at the very edge of, uh, of losing everything. But it's there that God meets us, and it's there that God comforts us. And then, in turn, you are being prepared to minister to somebody else, to offer them the comfort which you were comforted by. And what would we have here? We have a place that we are able to offer comfort to hurting people who come in. We've invited 17,000 people to our church last week as we sent out 17,000 mailers. Praise God, 17,000 people didn't show up on Sunday. <laughs> Somebody said, what if 17,000 people show up? I don't know. We'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But again, as I've said before, they weren't all necessarily going to come on that same day. Not that 17,000 are coming, but there will be more people who come. And there will be people who are hurting. There will be people who have been in church and got hurt in church and walked out of that church and hasn't come back. We've had people like that. We've had people who just become overwhelmed, whatever it might be. And so the things that we do as we're studying in God's word and as they're applied to the trials in our life better prepare us for the work that God has for us. Verse 3. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. God's will is just as sure as the walls of Jerusalem and the bars of that cell and even more so. When he tells Jeremiah that he will show him mighty things, he says, I'm going to show you things that are inaccessible to you. They're inaccessible to the common person. They're not going to know. They're not going to understand. And that, next to that word mighty, you could write that word inaccessible. And he's, he's just showing how, how unaccessible they are, again, to the common person. The idea is, is that the will of God is not revealed through the strength or the intellect of man. You have to submit yourself to God in order to find these things out. You have to diligently seek him. And the idea and the context that he puts here is, call to me. And what that speaks of is prayer. And you could add on to that, it speaks to me, prayer and fasting. And seeking the Lord out to understand, to know God's will. Now, I want to know God's will in general. I want to know God's will specific for my ministry and all of that. But how much more so when you're going through a trial would it be valuable to know and to understand the will of God? God, why am I going through this? I mean, everybody asks God that when you're going through a difficult day or through a hardship. But to truly seek him out in prayer and ask him to reveal himself, the fervent prayer of a righteous person, well, in James chapter 5, verse 16, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. This concept is revealed throughout the Bible of how beyond us that God really is. And the will of God and the knowledge of God, it's past our understanding. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28, Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary, his understanding is unsearchable. In Psalm 145, verse 3, 
Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. In Romans chapter 11, verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. And the idea is you just can't understand these things. You just can't know them. You must seek after them, and God must reveal them to you. And in my years as a Christian, I've come to understand this, that God reveals this. It's a process that works through time. He doesn't give us everything all at once because I can't grasp everything at once. I don't have that ability. He gives me, if you will, on a need-to-know basis. He reveals things to me through suffering. He reveals things to me through seeking. He reveals through things through me just as I, as I passionately ask him, as I passionately pray, as I fast, as I have a desire, and then God reveals, and it's called the maturing process. And the maturing process is that which is so valuable in our lives because it's then that we understand how to unlock the will of God into our lives. Mankind is aware of God to the degree that God has revealed himself to us. So what God reveals in the remainder of this chapter, I have to believe it's based upon the prayer of the prophet in the previous chapter. Last time we saw in chapter 32 how diligently the prophet was praying in the midst of all that's going on. And so the blessings that we're going to see here and the will of God and how these things are working out and the remainder of the chapter are going to be revealed because that prophet truly did pray from that dark dungeon. Verses 4 and 5. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the houses of the city and the houses of the kings of Judah, which have been pulled down, why? To fortify against the siege mounts and the sword. They come to fight with the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians, but only to fill their places with the dead bodies of men whom I will slay in my anger and my fury all of whose wickedness I have hidden my face from this city. And so, again, looking at Jerusalem, Lord, Lord what's happening? We're, we're having to destroy the city pretty much ourselves. We need these timbers and we need these materials in order to defend ourselves against the Babylonians. And, and we see the bodies. The bodies are starting to be stacked up. And really what's happening here is it's a reality, but it's the deception of situations and circumstances. We have the more sure word of God. Situations and circumstances, they can get the best of us. That which is before us, before our sight, we can, well, can cause us to question what's going on. And again, it would during this time. Lord, where are you in the midst of all of this? But God is giving his more sure word, and that's where his hope is. We need to apply this to what we see today. We look at our society. We look how, how far it's come, or maybe a better term would be how far it's falling, how far away from God things have gone. And you can come to that question, are, are, are things really falling apart? They're, they're supposed to be falling into place, again, as we, as we come closer and closer to end times. Without faith in God's word, things seem to be definitely out of control. We've got the Islam issue, we've got the morality issue of this country, and it just seems to be going down a slippery slope. 
But in faith, excuse me, in faith, we know that things are supposed to be like this. Matter of fact, it's going to get a lot worse. It's going to get a lot worse as we head further towards the end times. But the thing that I know is, and I can't explain everything, can't explain, you know, innocent kids being shot in schools and, and, you know, and just all the things that we see, the abortion rate as it continues to climb and so on and so forth, you know, what's happened to marriage and the damage that has been done there. But the one thing I know is this God is in control. God's in control. And that sometimes is just simply got to be enough because the situations and circumstances, they can overwhelm you. But it's the more sure word of God that we need to grasp onto. In Luke 21, 17 through 19, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair on your head shall be lost. By your patient process your soul, by your patience process your souls, or by your endurance you will gain life. Not a single hair on your head. To some of us that doesn't seem like such a big deal, but it is. God's just showing us that he is, hey, no laughing, God's showing us that he is in the details, that he is in the details of our lives. And in those areas, again, that we think that where is God? He's right there. We do not know the big picture or future happenings, but when we are told that all things work together for God's good, we have to incorporate both the hard things and what we would consider the good things. The hard things and the difficult things, have to understand that's working together for good. I'm not going to understand it as it's going on. The good things, same thing. Case in point, look at the Holocaust. Holocaust, when we were at the Holocaust Museum when we were in Israel. One of the worst things that have happened in all of human history. But as bad as that was, God used it to foster sympathy for Israel amongst the nations. The United Nations gets together and there's probably a little bit of guilt there and so on and so forth because a lot of the nations knew what was going on and nonetheless, and a lot of nations, even the United States, turned boatloads of Jews away and send them back, a lot of them to their death and all of that. And the God used that. And the United Nations gets together and then all of a sudden in May of 1948, what happens? Nation Israel is reestablished. And again, you can't allow that to get past you. That's an absolute miracle. Because never has a nation just been completely obliterated and scattered to the wind and gathered together. And for Israel, it's the second time that it happens. And what that tells me is it speaks of the hand of God upon it. The Holocaust, that was a bad thing, but it was a thing that worked together for the good. God used that for his glory. In Psalm 71, verses 19 through 21, the psalmist says, Also your righteousness, O God, is very high. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? You have shown me great and severe troubles. Shall revive me again and bring me up again from the depths of the earth. You shall increase my greatness and comfort me on every side. It's those hard things in our lives that just dig so deep. For Jeremiah, it's that jail cell that seems like all could very well be lost. Here I am, I've done the will of God, and look where it's got. Keep your faith. Keep your faith and continue on in hope in what God has called you to do. Those people in the midst of Jerusalem during that time of siege, and some of them are going to die without a doubt, but nonetheless, when you hear about it, understand and know God's still got a plan. 
you in Babylon when you're wondering why you're there and you realize what's going on and sooner or later they're going to hear that Jerusalem has fallen and the temple destroyed, don't allow the situations and circumstances to get the better of you. God's given you rich promises and he is never going to go back on his word. Those promises still hold true. You've got a detour of disobedience here and correction that is necessary, but God is still working out his plan. So in the midst of as bad as things seem to be, God's got this future for Israel. Let's look at verses 6 through 13. Behold, I will bring it health and healing. Now, he's gotten past what's happening. Now he's speaking of the future. He's offering this hope. Behold, I will bring it health and healing. I will heal them and reveal to them the abundance of peace and truth. And I will cause captives of Judah and the captives of Israel to return and will rebuild those places as at first. Now, when he says as at first, he's speaking of the time when Israel first came into the promised land, when they were provided for and they were strong. Verse 8, I will cleanse them from all their iniquity by which they have sinned against me, and I will pardon all their iniquities by which they have sinned and by which they have transgressed against me. Well, when did he do that? He did that in the sending of Messiah. That's when their sins were dealt with. Verse 9, Then it shall be to me a name of joy, a praise and an honor before all nations of the earth who shall hear all the good that I do to them. They shall fear and tremble for all the goodness and all the prosperity that I provide for it. Thus says the Lord, again, there shall be heard in this place of which you say it is desolate without man and without beast in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate without man and without inhabitant and without beast, the voice of joy and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of a bride, the voice of those who will say, praise the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for his mercy endures forever, even though... Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. It's going to be completely desolate. There still is these future joys, and really what these joys speak of is a thriving people, a thriving community. This is going to happen. And those who will bring the sacrifice of praise to the house of the Lord. So what is he speaking here? So they're going to see the temple destroyed, but here he's referring to the temple still in existence. We know that when Ezra and Nehemiah went back that during that time the temple was rebuilt and the sacrifice was reinstilled. Verse 12, thus says the Lord of hosts, in this place which is desolate without man and beast and in all the cities there shall again be a dwelling place of shepherds that cause their flocks to lie down. Flocks that lie down would be a flock that is in peace. Verse 13, In the cities of the mountains, in the cities of the lowland, in the cities of the south, in the land of Benjamin, in the places around Jerusalem, in the cities of Judah, the flock shall again pass under the hands of him who counts them, says the Lord. Behold, the days are coming. I have set this before you. The psalmist understood at least this concept in Psalm 30, verses 11 through 12. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth, clothes of mourning, and clothed me with gladness to the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent, O Lord my God. I will give thanks to you forever. The blessings of God, the blessings of God upon mankind are meant to be cyclical. And what I mean by cyclical, God's blessing for mankind is God doing well for us. 
It's when God blesses you, he, he does things in our lives. He moves and interacts in our lives. He gives us promises. He does things, healings, whatever it might be. God does well for us, and his people are blessed. Now, because of these blessings, his people, in turn, speak well of him. I mean, that's how we bless God. I, I can't do for him, but I, I speak well of him. I, I minister to others. I evangelize. I speak God's word, and I live God's word, and I do these things, and I speak well the goodness of God. And the idea here is, is the nations of the earth, they see this, and as we were told earlier in verse 9, they fear and they tremble. They have a respect, a respect as they come to this understanding because well, all that's going on is not just for the benefit of Israel, it's a benefit for us here tonight, but also the surrounding nations during that time and the future. As they see, although Israel was destroyed, they probably figured that their God abandoned them or their God was unable, but when they would see them restored again, they would realize the reality of their God who was able to keep their word. And so you have this witness as God does well for mankind, mankind speaks well of what God does, and the heathen, the nations, are ministered to. Now in verse 14... When it says, behold, the days are coming, that term, behold, the days are coming, in the book of Jeremiah usually points towards a messianic prophecy. And that's pretty much what this chapter closes out with, is the blessings of the future and what God is going to do in Israel. It's what we just celebrated, is the coming of Messiah and the effect that it has had, not just on Israel, but all of mankind. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will perform that good thing which I have promised to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. And so they've got this promise of coming Messiah and eternity that we have, the resurrection that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ and how God has overcame death. Now, again... Because of the heart of the Jews, God is meeting them through Jeremiah and the things that he has to say. We're going to close looking at three things in this chapter. Three things so that we would understand how the fulfillment of God's promises has happened, but also is going to happen in the future and the truthfulness of these things. And so first in verses 15 through 18, we see two offices. It says in verse 15, In those days, at that time, I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness. He shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell safely. And this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. So it's I think pretty obvious verses 15 through 17 is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Verse 18, Nor shall the priests, the Levites, lack a man to offer burnt offerings before me to kindle grain offerings and to sacrifice continually. And the two offices that we see here again, well, this would be this union of priest and potentate or priest and king. These two offices were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But what we have to understand is, is that God was able to keep them both throughout this time of difficulty, during Jeremiah's time, through to the Lord Jesus Christ's time, during Roman domination, and even into the future. Because we are told that these are going to be future ministries as well. 
And so what this tells me is, is that the line of David, Judah, and Levi will be identifiable throughout the time all the way through to the millennial age. There are going to be priests that are offering sacrifices even in the millennial age. Now, these sacrifices will not be for the covering of sin. Jesus has already washed sins away. But they will be in remembrance of the sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, again, this tells me that God is able to keep that line of Judah. He did all the way through to Jesus Christ. He's able to keep the line of Levi. He's able to do that all the way through to the millennial age. Both offices are an integral part of God's future plans. World disorder will never disrupt God's plans, and they will never disrupt God's promises. As far as the lost tribes of Israel and God's sight, ain't nobody lost. God doesn't lose tribes. He doesn't lose people. God knows those who are his. He's able to identify all. And then we have two covenants, verses 19 through 22. And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, If you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that there will... um, so that there will not be day and night in their season, then my covenant may also be broken with David, my servant, so that he shall not have a son to reign on the throne, and with the Levites, the priests, my ministers. As the host of heaven cannot be numbered, nor the sand of the sea measured, so I will multiply the descendants of David, my servant, and the Levites who minister to me. So keep in mind the context. King Zedekiah, he's going to die. And the throne of David is going to seemingly be no more. The same with the priest. A lot of them are going to be killed, and the temple is going to be no more. And so, again, to the Jew of that time, what happened to God's promises? And what he's saying here is, is if, well, if you can break my covenant as far as day and night never happen, then, yes, they will be lost. But obviously, just as surely as tonight... The sun has gone down and darkness has come, but in the morning the sun is going to rise. Surely God's promises are going to come to pass. Now again, what we need to see in this is the reality of what's being spoken of here plainly, but also the promises that we have in the scriptures, the ones that God has made personal to you. Just as surely as the sun's going to come up the next day, God's going to keep that promise. So these two covenants, two offices... And then two families, verses 23 through 26. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Have you not considered what these people have spoken, saying, The two families which the Lord has chosen, he has also cast them off. Thus they have despised my people, as if they should no more be a nation before them. Now, more than likely, he's no longer speaking of David and um, Levi. He's probably speaking of Israel and Judah, the northern and the southern kingdoms. Verse 25, thus says the Lord, If my covenant is not with day and night, and I have not appointed the ordinances of heaven and earth, then I will cast away the descendants of Jacob and David my servant, so that I will not take any of his descendants to be rulers over the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for I will cause their captives to return and will have mercy on them. Speaks of God's sovereignty, speaks of God's protection, and his preservation of his people. His ability to keep Israel, and we've seen in the scripture, well, we've seen in reality that he has been able to keep them all the way through to today. 
I was just there about a month ago. Israel's still there, and there's a bunch of Jews there. God's keeping his promise. Matter of fact, they're thriving there. Israel's pretty much a secular country for the most part, but nonetheless, God's glory is still being seen upon them. We also see in the scriptures in uh, Romans chapter 11 in the book of Revelation, God's got future promises and plans for Israel as well. Just as surely as they have come to pass in the past, they will come to pass in the future as well. And I just want to close with what we've read previously in Jeremiah 31, verses 35 through 37. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for a light by day and oranges of the moon and the stars for light by night, who disturbs the seas and his waves roars, the Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I also will cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, says the Lord. But the idea is, since those things can't happen, God will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He'll never leave Israel. He'll never forsake Israel. Hard things are happening. Hard things happen in our lives. Don't get caught up in the situations and circumstances. Look through to the reality and the truthfulness of God's word in your life. Father, once again, we just thank you, God, that you have given us these rich promises. And Father, I pray that we would not see them as just promises offered, but we would make them personal. Lord, there's a group of people here, and even more that are watching on the internet, and we all go through difficult days. We all go through hard times. And, And again, my difficulty is unique unto me, and others are unique unto them. But God, you meet us all in the midst of it. And so, Father, I just pray that you would strengthen us, that you would mature us, that you would enable us, and that you would prepare us, Father, for your good works, the good works ministering and strengthening the brethren in times of trouble. And so, Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for all that transpired the last couple of weeks. But, Father, we look forward in the weeks to come that you'd be glorified, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please? couple of things. Rose has got food out there for us. Um, But when you go out the door underneath the clock there, there's a table. The women have gone through some of the woman's stuff. And if anybody can use any of that stuff that's on that table, just feel free to take it. If you want to take the whole thing, we'll help you load it in your car if if that works. Other than that, we're back to our our normal schedule. Sunday morning, 10 o'clock, we're back in the book of Hebrews. Sunday evening at 6 o'clock, we're back in the book of 2 Kings. God bless you guys. Drive safe. Savior, precious Redeemer and Who would have thought that a love could rescue the souls men? Oh, you rescue the souls of men. Counselor, Keeper, spirit we
see you on Sunday.